so just on the ground will be fine. Um, yeah, last Sunday was Boy vs. Wild. How cool was that? Like, um, it was such an awesome day. I just want to echo what Rod said and just thank you for everybody that helped to serve in whatever way that you did, whether it was in promoting it and telling your friends or if it was in the setup or the pack-up or if you were here on the day and you helped us run the activities with the boys. It was such an awesome opportunity. We had about 50 young boys. I don't know what the exact number was. I don't really care what the exact number was. Because we had 50, this opportunity to bless 50 young boys that came along and they had an awesome time. We got to speak a continual message of uh, love and encouragement over them. And then we got to tell them that they were overcomers. But we also got to show them uh, and allow them to experience a place of fun and a place of safety and to know that they belong to a wider community than just what they experience in their everyday. So it was a really, really special day. But one of my highlights, if I could just quickly share one quick story with you, one of my highlights from the day was... Um, around this event that we call the River Tussle. The good old River Tussle, eh? it's been around since Moses, I reckon, since Moses wears short shorts. That's how old this game's been. We've played it here for at least 10 or 15 years. It's one of my favourite games. Put your hand up if you're in this room and you've ever played the River Tussle. I reckon there's quite a few of us. Yeah, it's an epic game. It's an awesome game. For those of you that are uninitiated, we can fix that perhaps next week. But um, I'll quickly explain it. So what we've got is we've got this balance beam, right? This gymnastics balance beam. And what we do is we put like these big gymnastic mats underneath it to make it nice and safe, you know. And we put these springboards at each end. And then we come and get, put some more mats and put it over the top of the balance beam. And then we put some more ba- uh, mats in around the corner of it. And then we put some more mats on the ground in case the kids fall off like the 30 centimeters onto the mat and they roll off and heaven forbid they land on the ground. So we put another mat there. And so we put some more mats here and some more mats there. And so we've got all these mats here, right? And so the aim of the game is that the young boys, they line up at different ends of the balance beam and they run and they jump up and they spring off the springboard like this and they do like a backflip or whatever. No, they can't really do backflips, but they run and they spring and they jump up and then they land, they straddle on top of this balance beam and then they sort of inch their way forward. And one of the things that struck me this week as we did the Boy vs. Wild was just how many kids had higher needs of some of the behavior management stuff. Like it wasn't something that I was really expecting considering we run this event like every year. But I found on the weekend that there were a lot of young boys that really struggled with some of that behavior management stuff. They needed a little bit of extra work with it. Like on the exterior, they sort of appear as, like you sort of describe them as tough, like kind of like as tough as a $2 steak or, or something like that. But really <laughs> what they are is they're just fragile on the inside like, a, like glass, right? So I remember this one particular round of the game and so what I my role for the afternoon was I was sort of just floating between a few exercises and activities just lending a hand with some of the teams that needed a little bit more help like with some of the some of the mixes of the boys in the tribes were just a little bit more uh demanding I suppose and I remember this one round of this river tussle game hoping to Lee were leading and they did such an amazing job um, I tell you what, they did such a good job. that It was like herding kittens or something like that for them. It was so tough because these boys were just all over the shop, all over the show, just demanding so much energy and so much time and so much emotional resource, and they did a great job. So I sort of jumped in, and Alex was there, and he jumped in, and Caleb was there. He was helping with the game as well. And so we're playing this game, and like there were these two boys in particular, and they just kept like just headbutting each other, you know? They just kept going at each other. And they, I remember one time when the boys, would, they'd run up and jump up and they'd get to the front and all of a sudden, you know, it's game on. It's their turn to try and wrestle and throw the other person to the mat, which allows them to move up and the whole team to move up and that's how you win. And so he'd be wrestling and, like this sort of thing and he'd throw him off. And this kid, 
who, again, would try and be as tough as, like, just tough as nails, he'd roll off and he'd land all the way to the, to the mat, like 30 centimetres below, like it wasn't very far. But he'd go down and he'd fall on the mat and he'd look, he'd sit there in like that moment of stunned. And he'd, all of a sudden the big crocodile tears would come. <laughs> One of these ones. And all of a sudden he'd just start like throwing this tantrum and he'd be crying. And like the first time Alana was there as our first aid officer, Alana is the most caring person in the world. She was caring and nurturing. But by about the fifth time, even Alana was like, come on, son, up you get. <laughs> That's how you know that they just weren't really feeling it. But these boys, they were just like, there was just such a lack of resilience. The moment that they lost the game, they put on this, this facade that they were hurt because they couldn't come to grips with the fact that they'd just lost. We've just got another bird in here. Or something, maybe it was just a big moth. Oh, I just saw something. Anyway, flashbacks to the last time. And so, but what um, it struck me about this was the fact that these boys just had such low resilience. They had such a low ability to be able to overcome the momentary setback and they'd, they'd just have this momentary uh, loss and it would just be such a traumatic experience for them. And so what we're talking about this month is we're talking about resilience and I'm really excited about it because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And as I was preparing for this, I realized that there's probably enough stuff that I could spend a year talking about resilience. And I love talking about resilience because whilst it might seem like a new term or a new phrase or whatever, I think it's just what the old Bible writers are talking about when they, when they talk about strength and courage. So like when God spoke to Joshua, he was about to go and take the promised land and how God instructed Joshua to be strong and courageous over and over and over. I think our modern interpretation of that would be to, to be brave and be resilient. And so I'm re- I really like talking about resilience because you can look at any of your favorite stories. You can look at any of your favorite characters. And the reason why it's your favorite story is because in every good story, there's that moment where the hero of the story has to overcome. There's that moment, there's that tension, there's that villain in the story when the result is in doubt. And the hero of the story, regardless of their skill and their resource and everything else, the result is in doubt and they have to choose to be resilient and to be able to overcome. So I love talking about resilience, I love talking about strength, and I love talking about courage, especially when it pertains to how we help impact and raise the next generation, which is specifically what we're going to be talking about today. Over the coming weeks, we'll talk about some other parts about resilience, but today, specifically, I just want to talk about how we impact the next generation, how we uh, raise the next generation to be resilient, which is really, really exciting. But before I go any further, I just want to just clarify and just make sure that you guys understand that uh, my heart with this is, I so don't want to come across as clumsy. I so don't want to come across as disingenuous or um, inauthentic. Because uh, I'm very aware of how sensitive struggle and tension and some of those topics in life are. Because we can talk about resilience and having to overcome. But the things that we have to overcome, the struggles of life, the obstacles of life, if it's on a continuum of disruption, we can have everything from down this end of being like your phone um, going flat or out of service or your car battery dying or being late for work or anything like that but then at the other end of the spectrum we've got all these really big traumatic events in life don't we like no doubt in this room there are people that are going through some serious relationship issues with their marriage and are contemplating divorce there are people that are going through job redundancies there are people that are are losing loved ones and so i don't want to be disingenuous and uncaring and so what i want to be talk about today is i want to talk about resilience more so about this end of the spectrum because it's resilience that links the two it's resilience through these early episodes that prepares us for that later stuff in life so please hear me in that i want to be um sensitive to whatever people are going through 
So with this, <laughs> thanks, Rach. With resilience, resilience really is just about um, bouncing back. That's what we talk about. It. We often talk about it in terms of being, a, we all go through these um, tensions in life, but it's all about how quickly can we go through, how quickly can we navigate, and how much does it actually impact upon our well-being. That's what resilience is. So resilience is being able to go through that disruption, whatever it might be, a little bit faster. Resilience is the ability to go through that disruption without affecting our well-being a little bit less. Does that make sense? So what I want to talk about today is where did it all go wrong in terms of how we raise the next generation with resilience? Where did it all go wrong? And I just want to quickly um, read to you Romans 5.3. It's going to be up on the screen as well. And it says this. It says, Not only so, but we also rejoice or glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It's a famous verse. It's a verse that you've probably heard paraphrased numerous times. But let me just read it one last time. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, our trials, our tribulations, our disruptions, whatever that moment of having to overcome is, because we know that that moment produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So the implication there that Paul is writing to the Roman church, the implication is that if we want the end part of that, if we want that optimism, that hope, that ability to overcome, that characteristic, that character trait of resilience, we have to have the first part of that too. We have to have those trials in our life. We have to have those moments where we are forced to, to persevere and to endure in order to overcome. As we were researching this, we actually stole the series titles and some of the message titles from an, another series elsewhere. And as, as I was doing some research, I came across this, gr- this great sort of illustration. And it was um, sort of examining and looking at the difference in the playgrounds today, like our river tussle, compared to the playgrounds of the early 1900s. I think we've actually got a photo of that one up there. Can you imagine that being the playground in the early 1900s? I heard it said like this. I heard it said like this. Is it any wonder that we won World War I when we had survived recess? <laughs> Is it any wonder we won World War I when we had survived recess? I love that picture. I love that. I look at that picture and I look at the, the contrast to the danger associated with our river tussle, which caused so many tears. <laughs> and I just can't help but wonder about the the changing in resilience. But the, on a serious note, uh, wh- for whatever reason and cause you want to attribute it to, the sad fact of the matter is, is that we're going through a crisis in our community, in our wider community at the moment, amongst the next generation, as it pertains to their well-being and their resilience. Uh, Dr. Robert Leahy did some research, right? And the research found that um, there was just as much anxiety and stress and trauma amongst youth today is what there was in the average uh, psychiatric patient in 1956. (laughs) The amount of disruption and internal grief and struggle that caused someone to go to a psychiatric institution in 1956, that's the average amount of tension that the young people are walking around with today. Now, I know cynical minds might lead us to believe different parts about that, whether it's true or not true, or what the cause and effect of that might be, but the inescapable fact of the matter is, is that young people today are grappling with a higher level of internal ten, um, turmoil. There's a lot of anguish, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of uh, an inability to comprehend and to understand and to overcome in the world. In other words, there's a lack of resilience. Another study looked at how many, uh, if, put a whole heap of words in front of students 
high school students, college, college students, and university students, and they said, circle the one which describes how you feel the most. And 94% circled the one which said, overwhelmed. Do you know one in seven young people today have some sort of mental um, illness, mental ill health? And if you're in between, in between the ages of 15 and 19, that climbs to one in four. There's something seriously wrong with our community at the moment and how we raise and prepare the next generation for, to, for the world and the troubles of the world. There's something seriously going wrong because we're not doing a, a good job in how we impart resilience and the ability to overcome into the next generation. I think part of the problem is, if we reflect back on that picture, is that today we're so much more inclined, for whatever reason, to protect the next generation as opposed to preparing the, the next generation. So what I want to talk to you today is actually about, can we prepare instead of protect the next generation? Now, as we I've did some research about this, I want to show you a little illustration from my model of resilience, for whatever that's worth. Um, and as I prepared this, I couldn't help but think, gee, I'm a lot like Sharon now, aren't I, with using an illustration like this? So don't judge me. This looks like a Sharon illustration. She'll be so proud. But resilience, I think, is like three parts. Woo! I'm going to put this on the floor. Bear with me. So if this container, if this glass here is a young person or just a person in general today, I think there are three main aspects that go into their resilience, into ways that we can feed into it. The first one is connectedness and it's relationship, it's community, it's having a place to belong. Research shows that one of the most impactful and powerful ways in which you can prepare the next generation with resilience is to simply just have a lot of evening meals together, to simply being in the same room. It speaks to community, it speaks to relationship, it speaks to doing uh, life together. The second thing, the second part of resilience, the research shows, is something about emotional discipline. Now, that's not about necessarily... And not feeling certain emotions. We've talked at length about that already this year, haven't we? But rather, by emotional discipline, what I mean by that is the ability to um, see what's really going on inside of you, see what's scarring you at the moment, to be able to deal with that appropriately. To not go into those moments of meltdown and trauma and tantrums, like what we saw with those little boys playing the river tussle game, but instead to examine, why am I upset that I just lost the game? And is it really the end of the world? <laughs> so we've got connectedness, we've got emotional um, discipline. And then the fourth one, we're going to give it the dark colour because it's a little bit scary sometimes when we talk about, but it's one about our locus of control. It's one about self-efficacy. And so it's one about, do I believe that my locus of control is external or internal? So do I believe that I have agency on my life and in the world, or do I believe that life simply happens to me because of the world? Do I believe that I'm simply just tossed around front and back, left and right by the waves of life the storms of life, or do I actually have a little bit of agency and a little bit of control? And within that, we also have to wrestle with our theology around um, uh, free will and our own identity. So we've got these three aspects of resilience, right? But how do we get that into the young person? And it always, it always can only ever happen through our funnel. And this funnel is what I want to talk about today. Because without this funnel... This other stuff, we can get little bits of it in there, we can splash little bits of it in there, but we can't really get much of it in there. We can't really prepare our young people very well with resilience without the funnel, and the funnel is practice. <laughs> the funnel is experience. The funnel is being willing to do stuff together. 
Does that make sense? Cool. So today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about that funnel as, as opposed to the other three parts, because we don't have time to examine everything. And what I want to talk about is I want to look at it from the biblical point of view. And believe it or not, the Bible's actually got a lot to say about resilience. So whilst you might do a Google search Bible on resilience, nothing will really come up. Resilience, again, is really about overcoming those moments of disturbance in our life. And as we all know, the Bible's got a lot to say about suffering. It's got a lot to say about trials. It's got a lot to say about testing. And so I want to highlight a man, one of my favorite men in the Bible today, and his name's Timothy. And I want to highlight Timothy because when we come across him in the Bible, he's this extraordinary person, he's this extraordinary figure because he was only a youth. He was only like one of the young people that you see in this room today. He was only a youth. But over the course of his life, we see some maturity happening. We see some different things being put into his container to help build the resilience which helped him to overcome. And Timothy is an amazing young man. He's, Timothy is a man that we should all desire for our next generation to become like because didn't Paul write that he was an example in every way, like in faith and in speech and in action? Isn't that what we want from our young people? Wouldn't you love to see the next generation of kids and youth and teenagers and young adults becoming Timothys in the ge next generation? I think that'd be awesome. So I would like to spend some time looking at Timothy, if that's okay. And it all starts with looking at his journey, because what happens is, is he actually decides to go on a, long, on a journey with Paul. So in the later chapters of Acts, we read about Paul, but we have to remember that Timothy comes along for the journey. Timothy decides that he wants to be a part of the journey, and he wants to come along for the adventure as well. And if we do a word association game with Paul, one of the first things we think of is hardship. <laughs> it's testing, it's, it's trials, it's suffering, it's overcoming, it's resilience. But what we have to remember is that Timothy was in the same room and Timothy was in the same party and Timothy experienced and he got to have this practice of all of this hardship and all of this difficulty and all of this heartache of life as he went through. Let me give you a few examples. So Paul leaves his mother, Paul leaves his grandmother, oh sorry, Timothy leaves his mother, Timothy leaves his grandmother and goes on this adventure with Paul. And one of the first things that happens is they go into this town and they're preaching in this town. Then all of a sudden, the authorities come and they lock up Paul and Silas. Can you imagine being a youth far from home and all of a sudden the person that you've gone to follow is taken and thrown into prison? So it doesn't explain exactly where Timothy was in this moment, but I imagine that he was back at the house with the other believers and it says that they were praying. And they were praying intently. And then about midnight, there was a knock on the door and they opened the door and lo and behold, it's the, the prison guard. It's the jailer who's there at the door. In that moment, Timothy's heart must have sunk. He must have thought, oh no, Paul and Silas have ratted me out. And then, Timothy hears this incredible story about how as they were praying, Paul and Silas in the prison, there was an earthquake which shook the foundations of the jail. The door opens up, they come out, and the jailer actually gives his life to Christ in that moment of divine intervention. But anyway, what happens next is that they go to another town. They're staying with this guy called Jason, and again, they're walking down the streets, again, Paul, Timothy, Jason. Jason all of a sudden is, locked, is arrested and thrown into jail. And all the authorities all over the city are looking for the rest of the early Christians, but they can't find them. And then at midnight, Paul and Timothy and the other disciples, they flee. They, they escape the city at midnight. <laughs> what an adventure. What an adventure for a young kid. It must be at this stage that you must be thinking, oh, what am I doing here? And then what happens is Paul decides to leave Timothy. Can you imagine Timothy being Timothy at that moment? Can you imagine the fears and the insecurities in a foreign land, having left home to follow this man Paul, and all of a sudden he leaves you, 
to go to a different part and tells you to go somewhere else. Can you imagine the insecurity and the fear and the, the difficulty after being chased out of the last two towns? It's insane. They meet back up, they go to Corinth. And in Corinth, Peter's again arrested and he's sued and then he, the case gets thrown out. They go to Ephesus. <laughs> they preach in Ephesus together. And then there's a riot and they're chased out of town. It's insane. They go to Troas. They do a church service in the second story. Man falls asleep, falls to the ground, dies. They go down, pray for him. He comes back to life. They go back upstairs and they resume church. Insane. <laughs> it's insane. And then they start heading towards Jerusalem. They start heading towards Jerusalem and they know that um, these are some of Paul's final days with them. And so there's a lot of grieving. There's a lot of saying goodbyes. They get to Jerusalem and Paul is attacked. He is beaten. He's arrested and he's thrown in a jail to rot before eventually being set, set off to Rome. Can you imagine being Timothy being exposed to all of that hardship, all of that heartache? If you were Timothy's mother, would you have allowed Timothy to go on a journey with Paul? <laughs> if you were Timothy's mother or grandmother, would you have said, no, Timothy, I think we should, you should stay here in the comfort and the safety of home? Would you have chosen to protect Timothy or would you have allowed Timothy to be prepared life with Paul. So the great thing that Paul did was that Paul took Timothy on an apprenticeship. Paul took Timothy on an apprenticeship of life where he showed him how to overcome some of the struggles and some of the heartaches and some of the disturbances of life. And so Timothy was so well prepared. We see in some of the writings that Paul later did, like that, if we can have that um, Romans verse back up on the screen, please. So when Paul writes this to the Roman church, what we have to understand is that Timothy's actually in the room. Timothy's in the party when Paul writes this. Timothy probably proofread this. It's, Paul was probably expressing and talking aloud some of his message to the Romans. Timothy was there in the room. Timothy is just as much of that co-signatory as what like we are when we write Christmas cards as a family. <laughs> you know, Timothy was a part of the room. So that language that's in that verse, that's a deep part of who Timothy is. So Timothy has been prepared for a life of difficulty and of trials and of being able to overcome. He's been prepared and built up with endurance and ca this character trait of resilience because he's been exposed to some of that suffering and some of that heartache. Again, Timothy's been prepared. He hasn't necessarily been protected. And then here's the bit that I get excited about. If we go to the next verse, please. So Paul is in jail and he writes this letter to Timothy and he sends Timothy back to Ephesus. He says, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And I love this because it talks about how Timothy was a timid man. He was a timid kid, especially when it came to sharing his faith. Who here feels like Timothy a little bit in that sometimes you feel a little bit too timid to share your faith? I certainly do sometimes. But this timid kid, this timid youth, again, remember, he's only a young kid. Paul is sending him to Ephesus. Ephesus was the place that they got chased out of town because of a riot. Ephesus is the place of great violence where people tried to beat him and kill him. Ephesus is a place of great opposition. Ephesus is a place of struggle. Ephesus is a place of heartache. Ephesus is a place of tension in Timothy's life. And yet we see Paul urging Timothy to go back to Ephesus alone. But not only that, as a timid kid, he's urging him to go back into this place of violence and tension with an instruction to command, <laughs> an instruction to command powerful men. What a challenge. 
But as I read that, I think, is that not what we want with our youth? Is that not how we want to prepare our, our kids? Is that not how we want to prepare our next generation? Do we not want to be, prepare them in such a way with enough resilience that we can send them back to their Ephesus to be able to command? Do we not want to send them back to their Ephesus, their Ephesus of resitting that school test that they failed? Their Ephesus of the schoolyard bully, of being brave enough to go back into that playground and not have to miss days of school? Do we not want to prepare them to go back to their Ephesus of their first job after their hours have been cut <laughs> and find out why? Do we not want to prepare them with enough resilience that when they get their first job redundancy, when they have their first relationship breakup, when they suffer their first real loss of life, do we not want to prepare them so that they can go back to their Ephesus just like what Timothy went back to his? And so the challenge is how do we do this? How do we prepare people instead of protect them? How do we give them this funnel, this ability to practice and to experience the tensions of life in that safe environment where they do an apprenticeship so that they become built to last? As I reflect back on my life, I realized how blessed and how lucky I am to have the parents that I've had. I'm not saying like resilience, oh yeah, I completed it. I'm not saying that by any means at all. But what I am saying is that when I look at the lives of some of my friends, and some of the stuff that they've gone through in my life and some of the stuff that I've gone through, I'm very conscious and very aware that I've been prepared for life in a different way than what they have. I'm very aware that my parents have given me an apprenticeship in some of the struggles and some of the heartaches of the world, which has prepared me to be able to navigate those tensions a little bit quicker, a little bit smoother, with a little less heartache. I'm so blessed and I'm so lucky. And I think back to all those times where as a kid we sat around the kitchen table at dinner table and we got to hear about each other's day. But we used to have this, like, this jar on the table, right? We used to have this jar. I know we've spoken about it before, but it was like this prayer jar, this prayer bowl. And you could write whatever prayer need you had and you could throw it in the bowl. And then every night when we said grace, we'd pull out a prayer and we'd all pray for it. So what would end up happening was that on any given night, Rachel might have been praying for me and I might have been praying for Tim's need and Tim might have been praying for, praying for Michael or whatever it might have been. But what that exposed me to was being able to do mission together. It exposed me to being uh, engaged in the mission as an apprenticeship, just like what Timothy was with Paul. So we, I ended up praying for Dad's friends to come to know Jesus. <laughs> I ended up praying that uh, for the pay, payday to come through so that we could put food on the table or whatever. I remember distinctly praying for those prayers and I remember the moments when mum's friends came to faith, they heard a message of hope, truth and love and they, their lives were radically transformed and I remember us celebrating around the table about that. I remember moments where people left in disgruntlement because there was a conflict and we, things weren't able to be worked through and I remember grieving as a family about those torn relationships. I remember being prepared for when those happened later in life. I remember as a kid packing show bags, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of show bags, as many of you guys did for things like the Launceston Show and Festivali. I remember being at Festivali for like the two days or whatever. And I remember being tired and exhausted, but still having to pack the trailer. I remember um, Michael uh, doing his small business, like with the, with the hub, like with the, um, in high school, he, just, he had this idea of if only I could have enough Xboxes that I could have, um, hire them out to my friends so that we could all come and play together. <laughs> and you know, Michael learned a lot of that. It didn't necessarily work, but it prepared him for his life of entrepreneurship now. 
the, the difficulties and the heartaches and the struggles that he learned in that moment enable him to overcome. I remember us going to India as a family and I remember us meeting some of the most underprivileged people in the world. And I remember hearing stories of testimony and of bravery and of courage from people that weren't much older than myself that were changing the world that they lived in against so much opposition. And so I remember being exposed to all these struggles and all these heartaches. I remember coming down here in the early days of the church once this is, was first built as a young teenager. I remember coming down here at 5.36 a.m. every week for prayer meetings where we'd openly pray together as equals about the burdens of the place, the financial or the human resource or whatever it is. And so I got exposed at an early age to some of the struggles which built that resilience within me. And so my challenge for us churches, are we going to be prepared to fight for, for the next generation? Will we, as a, as a community, sow into the next generation that we prepare them and not protect them? So they too can have that, that resiliency which comes only through that filter of practice and engagement in whatever mission that we want to engage them in. So what might that look like? It might look like any number of different things for you and your family. It might look like uh, becoming more involved with the, the missional church <laughs> and going on that um, journey of mission together. It might look like doing a sponsorship together and like raising funds together. It might look like going overseas together. It might look like just talking about some of the difficulties that happen in our everyday. Not just hearing their difficulties, but also being willing to share where appropriate some of our own difficulties as well. Can we, as a, as a community commit to preparing instead of protecting the next generation because can you imagine Katie you can probably come up in a moment if you want can you imagine what it would look like if you remember those statistics I shared like one in seven and one in four can you imagine what it would look like if just in this room it, like and by room I'm saying center if just in this room if you visualize those numbers and if you visualize what that means in terms of how many youth and kids in, in this room are unwell, can you imagine what it would look like if we just improved by 10%? <laughs> can you imagine that the amount of lives changed if instead of one in four teenagers, we went to one in eight? Or one in 12 or one in 16? Can you imagine the difference that that would make in our community, in a community that's dying and crying out for answers and how to overcome the heartache and the troubles of the world? Because the, the truth of the matter is, is the world is a hard place at times. But can you imagine if as a community we committed to preparing instead of protecting the next generation to be able to take it on? What a powerful concept, what a powerful thought. And the beautiful thing about it is, is that we all have a role to play. It doesn't matter if you're serving in kids or youth or if you don't have kids or not. It, it doesn't matter because what we believe is the church is being the living body, the living expression of the love of Jesus. We believe that we've all got a role to play. We believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And so we believe that each and every person in this room has got moments and opportunities to sow life into the next generation. And I want to challenge us. I want to challenge you. Will you be, be prepared to fight for it for the next generation? Will you be prepared to prepare them instead of protect them? To be able to be overcomers in this world rather than just another statistic. And I know that some of you feel like you don't have any influence or you don't have any voice with the next generation. But here's the, here's the key, okay? It's really, really simple. It's stupidly simple if you excuse my swearing. Young people will always listen to you. They'll always value what you say as long as you treat them as an equal. 
as long as you respect them, regardless of their age, and as long as you respect how they feel and what they think, they will always give you the influence to change their lives. Always. Why is it that youth and kids struggle with some teachers? Why is it they come home and say, I don't like that teacher very much, and when the teacher tries to correct them, they just fight back? Why is it the kids do that? It's because they don't like the teacher-student dynamic. It's because they don't like the powerful and powerless. It's because they don't feel, they don't feel heard and they don't know that they're a person in your eyes. They just think that they're a student. And when we get down on their level, regardless of their age, from toddler to 18 to 22, whatever in between, as long as we're willing to engage with them and sow life into them as equals and as people as opposed to just young people, you will always have an opportunity to speak life into them. And so church, can I commission you, can I charge you, our community, our wider community is seriously hurting, especially our young people, and they, they don't know how to overcome some of the difficulties that are in this world. They need people championing them like what we championed the young kids last week, whether they understood it or not. They need a community around them. It's my challenge to us is, are we going to fight for it for the next generation? I hear you. I hear you when you say that I don't feel prepared. I don't feel equipped. I've got my own stuff to work through first, Jedi. I I need some resilience of my own first. And if you're new here today, (laughs) the great news is that the reason why we're all in this room is because of this man called Jesus. And Jesus overcame everything. Jesus overcame the grave. We believe that he overcame death for the resurrection. And in a moment, we're going to have a time of communion. And we're going to invite you to that. And if you haven't done communion before, for those of you that need a refresher, we've got the juice and the bread, which signifies Jesus. We're going to invite you to come and take it if you feel comfortable. Take it back to your seat and in your own time, consume that. But as we do so today, can I encourage you just to give thanks that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit of overcoming that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you too. And that just as you feel like as if you've got your own stuff in life that you have to work through first before you can help somebody else, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Work through it with them. Paul didn't wait till he finished all the hardships of his missionary trip before he took Timothy. He took Timothy through the riots and through the, the prison cells and through the heartaches and through the, the rivers and through the times where there was no food. Paul took Timothy through all of that because he wanted to prepare him for life instead of protect him from it. And the result was that Timothy... Timothy became a a, a wonderful symbol of what young people across this world can strive to become. Timothy becomes a symbol to us of a young man sold out for Jesus. (laughs) What more could we want? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to communion, and then I'm going to hop up just for one last last final bit at the end. So why don't you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we just want to come before you now and God, we are so thankful that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives within us too. And Father, I just pray that you may just call out that spirit within us, that it may just rise within us, that we may feel it within us. And I pray that it may just give us courage and it might give us strength. And Father, I pray that as we come before you with around communion, I pray that we may remember your great command to love one another. I pray that we may remember your great commission, which is to take your love to the world. And I pray, Father, that we might keep front of mind the next generation of kids. From the babies to the young adults, 
I pray that we may just reflect upon them and that we may pray purposefully for them and that we may champion them purposefully. Jesus, I want to thank you for your sacrifice. And I thank you for our time together. Amen. So church, come and join, join in with communion. We'll take a couple of minutes whilst Kate plays and then I'll jump back up to close in a minute. about um, just to finish off one last real short story about mm, seven years ago or so I was at uni we used to run this group kind of like youth group but for young adults here it was called Fuse <laughs> and uh, we became very aware that young people were really struggling with some of these same issues that we've been talking about today and so what we chose to do is we decided to make this series called Examine and so I went before some of the business men and women of the church and I said, would you sponsor us so we can get a whole heap of these cards made up and a whole heap of these stress balls made up with this logo on it so that we can go to the schools around exam time and hand these out as a bit of a promo and it's just a way of saying, we so understand the stress that you're under at the moment, the stress to pass your exams, choose your units, choose your direction of life and work out who you are in this crazy six-month period. We so understand the heartache of that so come and hear a message, what the Bible has to say. Come and hear a message of hope, truth, and love about it and see what happens. And we saw this incredible result from it. It was awesome. And for me, that was a really growing season. It was a, it was a difficult thing to pull off. And so for me, it was sort of like my filter. <laughs> One of those moments where I had practice at trying to overcome some of the difficulties in, in leading and just doing that sort of stuff. But what ended up happening out of that is that we've got all of these stress balls. So we use them in youth all the time for all these games. And they're really cool. Because a lot like resilience, they sort of bounce back and you can sort of throw it at someone and have a bit of fun with it or whatever you want to do with that. And what we've actually got for you is we've actually got a gift for you. So as you leave today, there's a bucket of these stress balls. And I want each one of you guys to take one of these. And I want you to just keep it around the home or the office or wherever it is that you want it. And I want you to, it to be a reminder to you about will you prepare instead of protect? Will you sow resilience into the next generation? Maybe you can even throw it at somebody as a little bit of a reminder for them from time to time. 
Maybe you can have some fun with it. But we've got these stress balls, which I'd love to give to you as a gift. And just before I close and, and as we say goodbye, I just want to take a special 30 seconds just to speak into something which we as a community can sort of come around and which we as a community can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I haven't actually had a chance to speak to this yet, but we've got one of our awesome young men here, Sam, today. Incredible young man. And he's gone through some real heartache this week and that his mum passed away. And I can't think of anything that would be more difficult. And so there's nothing that I can say, there's nothing that we could do to ever possibly make that better. But what we can do is we can pray for this young man and that we can be the loving hands and feet of Jesus in a tangible way on this given Sunday, yeah? So why don't you guys close your eyes with me. If a couple of people that know Sam well can maybe gather around him, just lay hands on him perhaps. And I might just quickly pray. Maybe some of the young adults, right? She's group maybe. Thanks, Caleb. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Sam. I, I just want to lift his family up before you now. And God, we just thank you that his mum gets to go home. His mum gets to go home and party with you. That his mum's at peace. That his mum's healthy and free of pain. And God, we just we want to just declare and just thank you for the wonderful gift of eternity. So God, we pray for Sam and the rest of his family. And we pray for the Harveys and their family too. And God, we just pray that your peace may just reside in their hearts. That you may just come, that you may comfort them you may just be with them over the coming week in particular as as this is all just so raw. Amen. Church, that's it for today. Thanks for doing church with us. Next week will be another great week as we look at resilience again. Um, Go away, grab these stress balls, throw it at somebody, give Sam a hug. (laughs) Have a great week, church, eh? Thanks, everybody.